Well, hey everybody, it's Ray Hughes, lead pastor at Foundry, and today's midweek conversation is going to be a little different. I'm excited to chat with my friend Brian Collier. Brian is the pastor of the Orchard Church in Tupelo, Mississippi, and one of the founding pastors of the Foundry Network, which is the new network of independent Methodist Wesleyan churches. Our leadership has recommended that Foundry join. Um, you can find out more about that at the Foundry website at foundrychurch.org future. Uh, but I really enjoyed this conversation and hope it'll be helpful for you. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us again. I'm excited to be with my friend Brian Collier. And uh, Brian, thanks for joining us today. I'm so excited. Thanks for inviting me. Well, why don't you take a moment and just introduce yourself to our folks and tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and your ministry. So I'm uh, married to a wonderful woman for 31 years. I have two grown children. One's getting married in a couple of months. So that's a new uh, area of adventure for us. I've been pastoring uh, since 1987. That's uh, 35 years in some shape, form, or fashion, full-time since seminary, since 1994. And uh, so I've been in the same area my whole life. Uh, I've served as an associate pastor and then returned here after a little move away to plant a church called The Orchard, which is about an hour and a half southeast of Memphis, but we have five campuses across North Mississippi. And I tell people we're a little non-traditional multi-site in that we don't video teach to all those campuses. Each of those campuses has its own pastor that preaches, and I'm kind of responsible for the whole family. So we say we're a, we're a family of churches rather than multi-site. It's kind of explains who we are a little better. But mm-hmm. 23 years old now. Uh, the this main campus, first campus is 23 years old, and God's really been uh, teaching us a lot, but giving us a lot of exciting kingdom opportunities uh, post post a lot of things, post COVID and post Methodism too. So what's what's Tupelo, Mississippi? I w- I'm sure everybody was convinced you were from upstate New York when we just uh, from yes. your accent. I get uh, that no. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but what's life like in Tupelo? What are the ministry needs? What are the needs? I mean, what do you guys have? You seen God at work? How have you seen God at work? through your church and yeah. So, uh, Tupelo is the birthplace of Elvis Presley. This doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people, certainly not a lot anymore, but there's a rich musical, uh, heritage here. Uh, also Mississippians are very practical people. And so our approach to ministry had to be rich musically, but it also had to be, uh, very practical and very, uh, applicable. And I say that simply because Mississippians, for the most part, are blue-collar, hard-working people. And if it doesn't scratch an itch, if it doesn't meet them where they are, then they don't really see a need for it. So a lot of our ministries have dealt with people who've been broken and laid aside by the church in ways that say you don't you don't dress right, act right, live right, look right, give right, smell right mm-hmm. to come to church. And our approach is we want to reach people that nobody else is reaching by doing things that nobody else is doing. Mm-hmm. So the heart of our ministry has been everybody's welcome here. Uh, and so for for that reason, we reach a lot of unchurched people, a lot of people who have a Christian memory because they're 
grandmother took them to church when they were little or they got a Gideon Bible in the sixth grade, but they've never been Christians and they don't know what it means to live out of a Christian faith. So the joy of getting to work with people who are far from God and help them take those steps has been just the greatest joy over the last 20, 24 years. So. I, I love that. And it's beautiful. And it reminds me of some churches, including Foundry and our heart. Um, but I think what I love about that is not just the people that you're reaching that are far from God and seeing God work in their lives, but what it does to the people of God, to church, to the church to grow our faith when we really think beyond just how how do I live as a consumer of spiritual spiritual goods and services instead how do I be the church and be a part of a movement that's reaching people and so I've always been attracted I've known of your church from a distance and have some friends who know you and um, I've always um, loved hearing that story when when did the orchard begin summer of 1998 I was appointed here by the United Methodist Church. Uh, you know, part of our story is that we were United Methodist for 19 years. And um, it, it really came out of the realization that in this community, there were 65 to 70% unchurched population. Uh, again, half a Christian memory would say, I, I know who Jesus is. I just didn't know why Jesus mattered and why he mattered to them. And so we came to Tupelo with the idea of reaching those people by learning their language and how to connect the gospel to them and in in ways that they could understand. And, and so that's not a condemnation of the other churches in our community who are doing a great job at some other things. But with, from the very, very first day one, our intent was to uh, do the very things I've been describing. And we've been hard at it for 24 years, which is not easy. I mean, mm-hmm. Traditional ministry is a whole lot easier mm. uh, because it's much more predictable absolutely, in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so you started the United Methodist Church. You're you're not a United Methodist congregation any longer. Uh, right. Talk a little bit about that and what transpired there and why. Yeah. So we we had a sense over the last we. We had a sense over about the last five years, so about 10 years ago now. We have been out since 2017. We were the first uh, large United Methodist Church to leave the denomination. Uh, There used to be a thing called Cutting Edge where the top 100 United Methodist churches were gathered together. We were the first of that top 100 to leave. I met your dad at Cutting Edge, actually. How about that? That's a a side (laughs) story, but you didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we... we, um, we had a sense about five years before we left that things were coming to a head in ways that were going to harm the mission that we were called to in our area. Just simply not, not just the heart of the conversation, not just what the conversation was about, but more so how the conversation was going to be had. And I'll say our church has always been really clear that we believe what the Bible teaches about sexuality. And we believe it's the Bible's just clear on that. It is not muddy, but we have always been a church where everybody is welcome. And we'll, our approach to people who are far from God has never been to stand up front and to say, you're wrong. You're living a life that's uh, destructive. You're headed for hell. That's never been our approach. Our approach has always been to remember that Jesus came preaching good news. And so we try to say, this is what, 
this is the kind of life God has for you. This is what Jesus died to give you. And then they start to live. The Holy Spirit starts to live in con, uh, cause conflict in their life between what they're experiencing and what we keep saying God wants for them. And it just creates these conversations about how do I get from what I have to what God has for me? Because that sounds so much better. Mm. Now, sometimes obviously it doesn't sound so much better, mm. right? So they continue to live in sin and they run and they get broken, but we've always wanted to be the church who stands there with them in their brokenness and say, okay, can we help you pick up the pieces now and turn around and try to walk back to God? Mm. That just takes a lot of effort on our part. That's always been our approach. And we felt like that the way that the conversation was unfolding about sexuality in, in the United Methodist Church was going to make us pick a side where we had to stand and say, we, we hold this truth and you, you, you're not welcome here because you don't live according to the truth. Or on the other extreme, be permissive to go, everybody's welcome here as you are. There doesn't have to be any changes in your life. I mean, if you eventually come to it, fine. We've always been the people who say, here's what here's what God's offering. How can we be in conversation with you about what you're experiencing? And we just felt like the the way that the conversation was unfolding, we were going to have to pick sides. But the second part of that was we couldn't even be in community with people who disagreed with us and and have a respectable conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's going to be bloody and violent right. and dishonoring to one another and dishonoring to Jesus. And, and we felt like that probably harmed our ability, our witness in the community and our ability to have those conversations with people who disagreed us, with us in the community just by association. You know, the United Methodist Church was having this conversation. They couldn't have it in a civil way. And that's what that's how we see you, even though that was not what our witness was in the community. Right. Because so, a nasty church fight always leads to an altar call. You know, everybody's testimony. Always, I mean, like, they that's d- right. that never happens. And, and I told our folks this past week and the week before at both of our campuses, I said, as we talked about preparing for the vote that's to come on October, on October 30th, I said, look, I don't, I don't want to be the church. I want to be the church that holds God's word as our authority. But I also don't want to be the first church, the pastor, first church of the Pharisees. And That's we have right. to find a way to to hold to God's truth, but but to hold hold up great to have a high value of grace and meet people yep. where they are. I love what you're talking about there. So, um, so you guys have been you left the United Methodist Church before yep. um, before it was a cool thing to do. <laughs> I <laughs> yes, guess you could say. Cool. <laughs> um, and you. Um, you so what you you said 2018 17, 17 May of 2017 so then recently there's been a, a new development uh of course um that we've been talking about with the foundry network mm-hmm. um my lawyers are drawing up papers i'm just kidding um <laughs> no um i was eric huffman we'll was you, on a we'll give you 50 percent of all <laughs> revenue we make it's i want to be clear we had nothing to do with the naming of the network but we share uh we share the same heritage that is the you know the foundry church and the foundry network are drawing on the same story um, yep. of Wesley and their first gathering place in an old abandoned fa- uh, fa- uh, cannonball foundry in London. So I thought it was cool. 
Um, and uh, we're excited about that. But it does create a little confusion for our folks. Like, are we creating a new, <laughs> new network? No, no, no. Right. So tell me about the idea. Where did the idea for the Foundry Network come from? Well, as churches trickled out over the last, large churches trickled out over the last five years, um, we were loosely connected to one another, just my friendships. I mean, you can't go through the crucible kind of experiences of leaving the denomination and not reach out to people who've been through that same experience. And we found we had a lot in common about how to work our way out of the denomination, but that was all secondary to all of our desire to be really kingdom effective, really advancing the kingdom of Christ as a priority, as priority one for us in all those churches. And so we just started having conversations about, all right, if this is a priority for all of us, how much more might God use us if we were working together on this and not just, not, not in an informal way, but in some formal ways to learn from one another and to grow from one another, to push one another. So we just started, five of, five of us just started having conversations about what those relationships might look like. And what we found was a lot of people were saying, that's the kind of relationships we're looking for. As we're leaving a denomination, that's the kind of relationship we're looking for. Because I think being our experience was being part of a den the denomination, United Methodist Church, colored us in such a way <clears throat> that we didn't have any desire to get right back into that kind of relationship. And so um, we were looking for a relationship that was king had a kingdom priority because our church had a kingdom priority. And I'm not saying all denominations. I'm just saying many denominations by the nature of the organization have to focus on self-perpetuation somewhat. And for us, we just want to focus on the perpetuation of the kingdom. And there's a different, I think um, there's a different dynamic for larger churches than smaller churches. And, and I know you yeah. got, you guys have talking, I, I can't remember if it was you or Shane or Eric or which one of you um, said this, but um, there are churches that are coming, smaller churches that are coming to Foundry Network and saying we're, we're interested. And, you know, your response is you're, sm you're a smaller church and really you need to be a part of the global Methodist church or a, a denomination right. of some kind that is able to help you further your mission in a way that the network is not set up to do. Because the That's network right. really is designed for churches that are larger Um what what do you how can you can you speak to that a little bit about why larger churches and why that's important? Yeah, so I was uh, reading during COVID. I read a book by Alan Hirsch called "The Permanent Revolution," mm -hmm. and I didn't have the right words for it, but at, they're in the book. Alan says that if a church can be self-organizing, self-regulating, self-funding, self-funding, uh, then you don't need a denomination to pr provide those functions for you. In fact, if you think about churches like the size of the Foundry Church and the Orchard, even within a denomination, we were doing those things for ourselves. We functioned that way. And it's not that we, it's, and in fact, we sometimes provided that kind of service to another congregation who looked to us as a teaching church or who we had a relationship with. And, um, and we, as a, as the Foundry Network, don't feel like we can provide that for 15, 20, 50, 100 churches, because it's a relational network in which a lot of the accountability that we're hoping for in a denomination 
comes by relationship. That means naturally the network has to be fairly small. And we're all pastors. We don't have a bishop. We don't have any superintendents. But we want our churches to work together in ways that we probably can't take on 50 or 100 other churches. And um, for that reason, we think the Global Methodist Church or free method, some denominational answer is the right answer for a lot of churches. But for those of us who can do the kinds of things that Hirsch was talking about, and we can learn from other churches that are doing the kinds of things that Hirsch was talking about, man, there's a lot of there's a lot of kingdom opportunity mm-hmm. that that is not ours when we don't have to worry about the maintenance things that often happen with a denomination. And I know there's, uh, there's an emphasis on still partnering with smaller churches. And like you said, um, the heart of it is not to, to pull away from, or to be, you know, a Lone Ranger church or just, you know, just kind of the mega church club or whatever else. But, but speak to that a little bit and what your heart is for smaller churches. Just by nature, we are Wesleyans are not independent churches. We we live in community. We need community. We value one of our highest values is community. I mean, um, on a personal level, Wesley said there is no personal holiness without social holiness. I think that applies to organizations too, right? We have to be in those kinds of relationships. But we recognize that almost all of the churches that are in the um, in the have the opportunity to join like a foundry network. There are lots of churches in their area that are looking to them. And so we're, we really ask every church that would consider that to host a regional network of smaller churches who don't necessarily meet the requirements to be part of the network, but still need connection and resourcing and encouragement. In fact, our church is hosting one of those gatherings uh, Thursday of this week in which there'll be 10 churches that'll come in and we'll provide a meal and accountability and encouragement. We'll talk about Christmas preaching because they don't all have the resources that maybe our church has. How can we help you? How can we help you as a way of advancing the kingdom? Uh, I don't know about you, Ray, but I grew up in, I grew up on a three point charge. Mm. Uh, I pastored two, two point charges. And I, I never want to forget uh, those experiences because they shaped me so magnificently. And I think those small churches have a tremendous kingdom impact. And to say that we don't want to be related to them is not true. We just have to figure out the best way to relate to them as we're relating to one another too. Absolutely. Um, okay. So shifting gears a little bit, one of the things that I think is attractive to this type of network is the ability to draw on each other's strengths. So at Foundry, we launched a second campus in 2007, um, and we have been and we uh, merged a, another congregation, a legacy congregation that merged with us just uh, in actually in the middle of the pandemic, um, and and part of that was uh, a, a vision to continue to launch new campuses. Uh, more campuses to reach more people for Jesus. We live on a growing side of Houston, and there are um, a lot of folks with, living without the hope of Jesus that we can reach yeah. and want to reach. And I, one of the things I'm excited about with the network is I know the reputation of the orchard in terms of church planting and launching campuses, and I'm extremely excited uh, about that possibility of learning from you guys about church planting and multiplication. So um, what 
Can you tell us about that and your heart for that? Um, like you all, we we know that the the best way to reach new people is to start new works. Uh, the Tupelo campus, the first campus is 24 years old. And by percentage-wise, it reaches less people than any of the other campuses that are much younger because they they are just more nimble. They their people are more willing to come to new works, try new things. People who are already attending new works are really excited about that. They're much more inviting than people who've settled in over the course of time. I, I don't know if you know this, but the more church people you get, the less uh, evangelistic you tend to be, the less outreach you, you tend to get because when somebody gets the good news, they want to share that good news. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we forget what good news it is. Well, and we the- saw that when we launched our second campus. Um, I, when we launched the second campus, our original campus here at Jones Road, uh, the evangelistic fervor at the original campus went up because yep. it, it became part of the DNA. That's uh, right. But it's easy yeah. to drift there. And if you're not yeah. constantly at, you know, constantly thinking about what's the next thing, I do think that you can fall into complacency there. So, well, you know, we want to disciple people, but if if we don't reach people, who are we? Who do we think we're discipling? We're just recycling people who are already have already come to faith. In Mississippi, it's a little different than Houston. Uh, how many people are in the state of Houston? I mean, the in, city. In, of Houston, the state of, it could be a state. It could, it could be a state. Uh, how many are in the, I, I, I'm not. Four to six million. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's it. Well, I do know that it's the, uh, fourth largest and, and closing in on Chicago to be the third largest city in the country. So there are 3 million people in the state of Mississippi. Wow. So it shows you how spread out we are. However, there are 25 towns in the state of Mississippi that have a population of 5,000 people or more who do not have what we call an alternative expression of the gospel means that all the churches in town look like churches. They aren't having conversations with people who won't have conversations with churches. Mm. So we want to start a new work an alternative work in all of those towns as a way of reaching people in those towns that aren't being reached by traditional churches. Now we're celebrating the ministry and the effectiveness and faithfulness of effective churches because they are reaching a a certain population. We want to reach the other population. Mm -hmm. And boy, that just fires, that fires you up. And you learn a lot and learning a lot in community, like a network can be instructive for us all. 7 million is the word I just got. 7 million, Seven million in Houston and growing. So, wow. and, and the most diverse city in the, in the country, something that really, I think we uh, are, are going to press into in the future is um, yeah. how do we reach a growingly diverse, uh, the most diverse city in the country. We don't have to do global missions here at Foundry. We do because it's important to, for, for our own discipleship. Right. But our global missions could be right here in the city. We don't have to go very far. So, um, let's talk about a Wesleyan because you grew up in the Methodist church and the United Methodist church. It's, you're still Methodist really. I mean, you're independent, uh, independently governed church, Mm -hmm. But that heritage, and and I think, you know, I told our folks, we follow Jesus, but the flavor of John Wesley and Wesleyan Christianity, it adds uh, an element to the capital C church that I think our world needs. Um, and, yeah. and so why does it matter to you that the network, that the Foundry Network um, is distinctively Wesleyan 
um, that they're Wesleyan churches. And, and, you know, what does that mean anyway for a lot of folks that are not familiar with that? Well, I describe Wesleyan as a, a full measure of the grace of God with a full measure of the truth of God. Mm-hmm. And I'm, it can seem critical. There are other, there are other faith traditions who really lean into the grace of God. You might say sometimes at the expense of the truth of God. Mm. Uh, they tend to be more progressive, permissive. You you find others that really want to lean into the truth of God at a little bit of the expense of the grace of God. And Wesleyans, faithful Wesleyans, are always wrestling with what it means to be full of grace and full of truth. And there's really no place for those who believe this way and see God's work this way in the world to gather, mm-hmm. meaning that uh, it, within United Methodism, you can have both those extremes, right? Within uh, some of the other denominations that are Wesleyan, free Methodism, global Methodism, uh, they're going to wrestle with that. Uh, but the Foundry Network is a place for those voices, those people to gather in a way to have a tribe. There are tribes for all those other, uh, all those other, uh, themes, those other uh, other uh, theological mindsets like ARC and mm-hmm. and uh, Association of Reformed Churches and Acts 29 and ECHO, which is uh, Evangelical Covenant Order Presbyterians. But there's not one for Methodism. Uh, there is a denomination and there's the Foundry Network. Those, those are, and so what we wanted to be was recognize that there are some unique opportunities that are yours wherever you are geographically, missionally, geographically, we also wanted to say, but we think alike on what is essential. Mm -hmm. And what is essentially Wesleyan is to be full of grace and to be full of truth. It is to understand uh, provenient grace, justifying grace, sanctifying grace, uh, glorifying our entire sanctification. And to say, we believe this is how God has worked in the world. And that's how we want to participate with him. Amen. I come here, you preach. (laughs) <laughs> get you going. Well, hey. I just, I, you know, like I do that, that, that voice, we don't have people who are able to articulate that. We don't have pastors that are able to articulate mm-hmm. that. And because of that, it's like hearing the Christian choir with a significant section missing. Mm. I don't, I don't hear the tenors or I don't hear the baritones or I don't hear the basses. And we need the whole compliment because there are some people who are going to only hear the, the truth of God the truth of the good news in this by the way we sing the song and right. we need to be able to faithfully sing that song. That's I love the way you put that. That's good. So and one of the other questions I think that the network addresses maybe more indirectly, but um, I'd love for you to talk about this because you have been an independent church a little bit longer than most. Um, and I think that we can learn a lot from you because you've been walking this path a little bit. Um, talk about accountability. We've been, you know, I think that's one that when, as soon as you mention the word independent, I think that some folks, they think of, uh, you know, some of the cases in larger churches around the country, like Mark Driscoll or Bill Hybels or others who have been high profile leaders who, um, there was a lack of accountability or a system wasn't in place to ensure that the church was protected from, you know, destructive behavior and, and different things and misuse of power. And um, so how, how, what have you learned about that um, so far and how do you see the network addressing the need there? 
Well, I, th- I think, I hope everyone has learned. I hope all church leaders, both pastors and lay leaders have learned the lesson of Mark Driscoll and Bill Hybels. So that as we leave and you, you really are able to set up a governing, a governing system of your own design that you set up a system of local accountability that prevents things like that from happening. Uh, Driscoll nor Hybels, either one had a level of accountability. I mean, the stories we hear about them, normal people hear that and go, that's crazy. How did that ever happen? And it's because they didn't set up systems. So when the foundry disaffiliates, foundry church disaffiliates, I hope that they will think clearly about how do we set up a level of accountability that lasts way beyond when Ray is no longer the pastor here and the person after Ray is no longer the pastor here. So the orchard Tupelo has that account, that system set up where I'm, I'm going to, I can be fired, you know, within reason over with the certain processes and I'm not, I work for our elders. Mm-hmm. That's, that's who's I'm accountable to. Now, when it comes to the foundry network, there is another level of participation that albeit because it's a network has to be voluntary, but the network offers um, mediators or pastors who are part of the network who can be objective observers or objective mediators. We're so calling say, them overseers in our, bio, we're working on those bylaws they're actually releasing. I think they'll be out by the time this podcast releases. There you go. For folks so who want to, and we've built exactly what you're talking about. And so yep. um, this, these are, um, and, and thank you for your contribution to this because our bylaws, we, we utilized uh, bylaws from the orchard and from other oh, churches to learn from. And uh, the overseers will be uh, a group of pastors that um, are theologically trained and able yeah. to speak into any conflict or hopefully we don't need to lean on them, you know, but they're, they're there. there um, and, and, it, and it gives the assurance to the congregation that they're protected and, yeah. And, and, you know, it, I think the, the, that is just speaking personally, I, I want that. I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't want, I, I want that for the health, for my own health spiritually and for right. the health of the congregation. I, when you say it's voluntary, I think that's, that's true. No matter who you, I mean, real accountability is, is mutual, but, it, but you have to, it's something you have to want. It's or you right. know, if it's forced accountability, it's not really accountability anyway. So That's exactly right. That's uh, well said. Um, all right. Well, thank. Um, l- what should I have asked you? Let me end with that question. <laughs> to talk about anything else about the Foundry Network or anything you want, or you know, um, I would I would mention what what team you're a fan of, but but I you know I, I, they. They ruined the, they 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 made some people very unhappy this year. Uh, some of our Aggie fans, so oh. everything was going well until I just met, brought that up. <laughs> we might have to edit that out. Well, I have nephews that go to A and M, and so I I, there did, you go. I called them the day after. But other than that, you know. Well, I did. We did. Our newest addition to our pastoral staff is a. Uh, Ole Miss grad, I have to say. So, you know, I don't that know. That's terrible. You Why might. would you do that? <laughs> you make sure of his salvation before you act. We're still we're, we're still working. You know, you said you were reaching lost people and we aspire to do the same. So we just work. we have a church exactly. in Oxford, a campus in Oxford for that very reason. When we started the <laughs> campus in Oxford, my 
I said to them, I said, we wanted to put a church at the very gates of hell. (laughs) So then about three years later, we started one at Starkville and their answer to me was now we have one at the front gate and the back gate. That's great. That's perfect. Um, But what should I have asked you or what else would you add to the conversation? No, I I think the thing that I appreciate most about the Foundry Network is that it gives you the freedom to be responsible missionally and kingdom-wide in the communities where you live. But it invites you into relationships in ways that call you out of the communities in which you live so that you'll become self-focused or self-centered. It it also encourages uh, you by saying, here's what we're learning. How can that help you? What are you learning? How can that help us? be more effective for the kingdom. We just, we were not made, churches were not made, pastors were not made to live in isolation. Uh, Yes, we're independently governed, but we are missionally connected. All of us are missionally and, and kingdom connected. And we need, we need to lean into that to be all that God wants us to be as an effective tool for reaching people for Jesus. So I, I celebrate the foundry as the foundry network as a way to do that without um, selling yourself into a relationship that is actually restrictive uh, when it comes to doing kingdom work. So that that's what I'd say about the foundry. It enables us to fulfill our mission. Our mission at foundry is to help people know, follow and share Jesus. We're pretty simple about that. Um, there are people that are living all around us that don't, have a relationship with Christ that we want to introduce to Christ. We want to help people grow deeper in their, as a follower of Christ. And we want to, we want to help equip and then ignite people to live on mission where they are in the world. And, you know, it's all about Jesus for us. And, and for me, like I want to be a part of a network and part of a relationship, part of an, uh, part of a, a group that helps me do that better. And, um, you know, I, I desire to, to live out that mission um, and to be equipped to do that and to be a part of a group that helps me do that, not, not one that can sometimes even make it more difficult to do that. Right. And so right. um, I, we are one heart and mind on that, and I'm, I'm grateful for you taking some time to chat with me today and grateful for your contribution to the kingdom and kind of blazing a trail for many of us that are longing for a new awakening in our day, like Wesley saw, um, and for the contribution to the the greater kingdom that you've made. Thank you, Brian. Thank you so much. So very kind. I appreciate you saying that. I'm excited all of all of for all the things that God has for the Foundry Church in the future, too. Amen. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Hope you have a great day, and uh, we hope to see you soon at either of our campuses uh, you can find out more about um, this process or this um, season that we're in and the future and find out lots of details about the Foundry Network as well as our upcoming vote. And if you have any questions, go to foundrychurch.org future to find all of that information. Thanks again for joining us.